Welcome to Hashtag True Story. Hello, I'm Michael. And I'm Sean. We're brothers, and we have decided to make a podcast about various events and characters throughout history that we've found interesting. In every episode, we will each bring a subject to the table for discussion in what will hopefully be in an accessible and conversational form. We are not historians, just two guys that have a general interest in history and are hoping to get other people interested through our style of storytelling. We by no means have the time, the knowledge or the credentials for this to be a conclusive version of offence, but instead we offer more of a taster so that you can explore these people further yourselves if you have the desire to. We are both new to the whole presenting thing and hope that you'll stick with us as we gradually polish our podcast style. Either way, we hope you enjoy the Hashtag True Story podcast. Okay, so another week. This week, I think we're we're just going to stick with one character this week. It's mainly because it's such a big, chunky one. You also may have noticed that we've started uploading on a Sunday rather than a Thursday. As I mentioned in our little message a couple of weeks ago, it just makes more sense, us uploading at the weekend now. So that's what will be happening from now on. Basically, it's me being awkward, and it's uh, we've had to adjust our timetable and the way we do things. So Sunday evening's a better upload time for us. And as Mike says, we we are ideally trying to keep this podcast maximum like an hour and ten, hour and fifteen. So if we have t- two giant characters, then it might just um, get might be too, too long. But yeah, you'll get a bit fed up with our voices. So uh, we'll we'll proceed with the one for this week. Okay. Well, this week I am bringing another controversial character, the gentleman. I'm going to be talking about this week is Robert Edward Lee. Robert E. Lee. Yes. Robert E. Lee was one of the leading figures in the American Civil War, which is still, to this day, the single bloodiest conflict in America's history, taking up to 750,000 lives. It's, it's, a big, it's a big number. It is a big, big number. And uh, and you think about all the conflicts that America have went through um, since then, and still to this day it is the bloodiest conflicts that they've experienced. And you look at the proportion of the society as well. Like their population has massively increased since then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, give you give people an idea, the, um, the union side of the... Uh, the country had about what, 18 million people and the Confederates had anywhere up to about 5 or 6 million uh, free people and about 3 million slaves. So what's that, a million, 4% of the population? Yeah. Roughly? That's, yeah, yeah. is a sizable amount. Yeah. Robert E. Lee was born on January the 19th, 1807 in Stratford Hall, Virginia. His father was a major general, and his name was Henry Lee III. And his his mother was Henry Lee III's second wife, Anne Hill Carter. Lee's father, as his title suggests, was a military man and served as a cavalry officer during the American Revolution. He also spent time as a governor of Virginia, as well as a representative in the U.S. Congress. Lee's family was one of the first to settle in Virginia in the mid-17th century. Lee was one of six children of Henry Lee. Lee's father was badly injured at a political rally trying to defend a friend in 1812, and it was quite a severe injury, and he travelled to the West Indies to try to recuperate Okay, um, was, the, was that the, the, the climate was better or better? Yeah, care? It's, yeah. I, I think it, it was the climate, and he, he 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 tried to recuperate where he was at home, and it just wasn't getting any better. Do you um, know what the, it was? It was meant to be really bad. Um, it was meant to be like internal injuries. Um, there was meant to be a head injury that he never recovered from. Just got beaten, or he, yeah, yeah, he got badly beaten. His his. Um, I believe his friend was owned a newspaper, and it was they, the, this these political activists were against what the paper was saying, 
and they oh. they, ta- they attacked his friend and he tried to defend his friend. He he died while travelling back to Virginia in 1818. Uh, Robert was only 11 at the time. He he seemed to go away quite a bit from his family. Go spend time away all the time. And um, in, well. when when um, Robert Ely was very very young, his dad actually spent a year in debtor's jail because he went bankrupt. Oh, uh, so. Yeah, a lot of a lot of his younger childhood, his father was gone, was completely absent from the family. A bit of a contrast in life, didn't he? he was a yeah, a war hero in the Battle of Independence, and then yeah, yeah. So it's a uh, sad way to go out with someone like that. Now, although Lee's family was well connected and quite important, he was related distantly to a president and a signee of the Declaration of Independence. They weren't that wealthy. As I mentioned, his dad actually was dis- was bankrupt went, went bankrupt. With Henry now dead, Anne Lee, his wife and obviously Robert's mother, relied on the support of her extended family. And they, they gave her some money and, and helped her out. And she would stay often with members of the extended family. Robert attended a free school for boys before entering the United States Military Academy at West Point in 1825 because his family couldn't afford to pay for him to go to college. Lee spent four years at the academy, finishing second in his class. In June of 1829, he was made a second lieutenant in the Corps of Engineers. While he waited an assignment, he returned home to Virginia where he found his mother on her deathbed. She died in July of 1829. Bloody hell. Yeah, I think his mother was actually suffering quite badly from various illnesses and ailments for a few years before that. But she seemed to hang on, wait for her son to kind of graduate. She wanted to see that. In August of 1829, Lee was given his assignment. He was ordered to Coxburgh Island, Georgia. He was sent there to help build a fort on the island and he spent a couple of years there. In 1831, he was transferred back to Virginia to Fort Monroe. Wow, so he's getting involved in quite big projects. Yes. Well, he's showing himself, early on, he's showing himself off to be very, uh, very talented. Obviously, he finished second in his class. And he's entered the the engineering corps. And that's it. He spent a lot of his time in the engineering corps in his early career. That's what he started off as. Cool. And it helped him in future with with his tactics and, and... how he ran his armies. It was while Lee was stationed at Fort Monroe in 1831 that he married his wife, Mary Curtis. Lee and Curtis had known each other as children, and while Lee was on leave in 1829, obviously while he went home and to be with it, obviously with his family and his, when his mother died, they started courting while he was there. And they'd been exchanging letters ever since. Um, Mary Curtis, as a side note, was the step-great-granddaughter of George Washington. Oh. Yeah. So he, she was the great-granddaughter of George, George Washington's wife. Between 1832 and 1846, they had seven children together. Like their big families. Yeah, yeah. And all of his kids actually survived him, actually lived past oh, him. Um, it was, uh, except one, I think one of his daughters died before he, he did. But the, the other six actually survived him. While Lee's military career moved him around quite a bit, Mary and their children would stay on Mary's father's plantation. Because Mary's family, very rich. Okay. Very rich and very powerful. Obviously, she's a relative of George, George Washington. Washington. Yeah. And I believe her father, her grandfather, inherited their plantation and slaves from 
George Washington's wife. Right. In 1834, he was assigned as an assistant to General Gratiot in Washington. He was promoted to first, first lieutenant in 1836 and stayed in Washington as an assistant in the chief engineer's office until 1837. So he spent a few years as a assistant in the en- chief engineers. I suppose he's learning office. the hierarchy and yeah. the bureaucracy as well. Yeah, Useful and I, I get with uh, later on you find he he was frustrated with being stuck in the engineers. He, he wanted to be kind of in the field. Yeah. So, but he was good at it. Uh, and obviously, he's working his way up the hierarchy because of it. After that, he spent the next few years working on various projects in Missouri. For his efforts, he was made Captain Robert E. Lee. So he's doing a good job and he's, he's working his way working up. Working hard. As I said, he, wanted, he, he, he very much wanted to work in the field, but uh, be an officer kind of actually fighting. But he's very... on the ground. Yeah, but he's very a very talented engineer and he's working his way up in that in that area it wasn't until 1846 that lee really got to make a name for himself war broke out between the u.s and mexico now i don't know how much you actually know about the mexican american war you know anything about it no, not really. Very small parts. Yeah, I, 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 I can totally understand that. Obviously, us being English, we're, <laughs> we're not really educated that much on American history. Only the kind of the touchstone things, the key kind of events. So, but when it comes to the Mexican-American War, um, here's the general gist of it. It was a dispute over who owned Texas or parts of Texas. Um, Texas revolted against uh, Mexican, the Mexican Republic in 1836 and created their own republic, which Mexico didn't recognise. Mexico was in a, in a bit of a political turmoil at, this present, that, at that time. It only relatively recently become independent and the government was changing all the time. And it was just very... Trying to find itself as a yeah, nation. Yeah, very much so. In 1845, Texas became the 28th state after an offer from the U.S. Congress. There was a big chunk of disputed land on the border of Mexico and Texas. The U.S. offered to buy the disputed lands from Mexico, but Mexico rejected that offer. In 1846, American troops entered the disputed territory. Robert Ely in, in tow. He was involved, yes, yes. And I said this is where he starts making his na- a name for himself in the field. On the outbreak of war, Lee was one of the chief aides of the Major General, Winfield Scott. Now, after this, Winfield Scott's story, he, he put such an impression on Scott that by the end of this war... He saw uh, Lee as one of the best officers in the whole U.S. Army. In fact, he might have even rated him the best. Wow! Yeah, Blimey. that's that's more of a, how much of an oppression he put on on uh, Scott, uh, and that's who he was working under. He was instrumental in finding routes of attack on the Mexicans that were undefended, finding routes through terrain that was just thought to be impossible to pass. Cool. So, like... He's, sort of, he's, he's branching out from showing his, um, his ability with the engineering stuff yeah. to actual military tactics in the yeah. field. Well, a, a lot with a lot of uh, duties of um, the engineers was things like mapping, as well as building forts and building defences and building roads. So it all kind of helped him become this... What in the end was a great general. It all all came together to help him become who he was. He was made a brevet major after the Battle of Cerro Gordo. Um, a brevet 
major, um, well, just pre- this type of brevet is basically filled. Okay. So you're not officially that rank, but it's kind of a filled promotion. Yeah. So you could have you could have somebody work their way up the ranks quickly in the field because they need to. They need to have that that authority. Yeah. But they're not actually. And when the war's over, they're not that position. Okay. So, yeah, he was promoted to brevet um, major in eighteen forty-seven. Um, the U.S. managed to defeat a larger Mexican force due to their ability to flank them. They were only able to do that due to the excellent work of their reconnaissance team, one of which was led by Lee. Cool. So, again... Influential. Very in- influential. By the end of the war, he'd been made Prevet Lieutenant Colonel, uh, then Prevet Colonel but uh, returned to being a captain after the war. So he made it to the point of basically being a field commission of a colonel by, yeah. this, by the end of this. That's how impressive he'd been how quickly he'd during this, uh, this war with Mexico. It was in the Mexican-American War that Lee first met Ulysses S. Grant. After the war, Lee was stationed in Baltimore in... 1852, he was made a superintendent of the West Point Academy. So where he'd attended, he became the superintendent uh, in charge of running that academy. While in that role, he, his eldest son, George Washington Curtis Lee, graduated first in his class from the academy. Named after a family member, yep. great-great-grandfather. Yeah, what is it with, like... So many blooming names. It was in 1855 that he was finally able to leave the engineer corps and was made second in command of the 2nd Cavalry Regiment in Texas. Their job was to protect settlers there, new settlers in Texas. In 1857, his father-in-law died and Lee left to manage the estate. So he he took a a bit of a two-year sabbatical to try and sort out the estate which was in a bit of a mess the property was left in debt but the will stipulated that if the estate was on a good financial footing the slaves they owned should be freed within five years of his death okay but it was not in good financial footing so they weren't freed no um and it caused a lot of problems for lee this didn't go down well with with some of the slaves who were under the assumption that they were going to be freed straight away. There's a story from 1859 about three slaves who tried to escape north. They were caught and Lee ordered them all whipped, including the one female. The story released by the press at the time said that when the overseer refused, Lee did it himself. Fucking hell. So it's a bit of a... a, a, He was meant to be tougher than his father-in-law with the slaves. Because even though obviously there were still slaves and they still weren't treated well, they were treated better than most on that plantation. In fact, I believe uh, Lee's wife actually taught some of... um, slaves had to read and write right okay um, if we remember back to Harriet Tubman but they were still slaves if we remember back to Harriet Tubman teaching them how to read was a no-no wasn't it and yeah the no, it, no it's against the law it's against the law yeah. uh, his wife actually still well broke the law and actually taught some of the Robert, Robert slaves e. how to read and write Robert E. Lee wasn't so compassionate I think also the thing about it was that um, his wife who obviously spent more time on the plantation relied quite heavily on some of the slaves. She was uh, crippled by arthritis, and even by, what was about 1860, she was confined to a wheelchair because of it. It was so bad. Yeah. So she relied quite heavily on these slaves, and yeah. they, they did a lot for her. So, yeah, probably brought a lot of sympathy for, for her. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of dispute over what his thoughts were on slavery. Because there's like there's letters there's letters that have been saved that that from him 
that kind of suggests that he didn't believe in slavery. So there's a lot of kind of to in and fro in on what his actual thoughts were. I mean, a quote that I've got from one of the letters is where he said that there are a few, I believe, in this enlightened age who will not acknowledge that slavery as an institution is a moral and political evil. But in that same letter, he's also kind of suggesting that he feels more sorry and slavery as an evil is doing more harm to the people who own the slaves than the slaves itself, and suggests that the slaves are treated better and have better lives and are shown a more moral lifestyle by living in America as slaves than they ever would in Africa. Yeah. So it's... It's just another bigot of the uh, 19th century. But but the the thing um, is, is taking anybody out of their time frame is you look at them and you think that that's an amoral arsehole. The problem is with people like Lee is that they, they came around on the cusp of change yeah. A cusp of that moral change where you went from the old way of things being done to the new way, so they look like real scumbags. But if he's having this thought, saying it's a moral evil, and then his wife's teaching them to read, but then on the flip side, he's more than willing to cane them when other people aren't. Right? It kind of shows you which yeah. way he's leaning by his actions. Yeah, yeah. It's. I, I mean, I'm not trying to defend him at all. He's. It's slavery. Any form of slavery is horrendous and it is immoral. I'm trying to think of it as he's from a time where he lived in a place where slavery was abundant. As I mentioned, about three million of the population of the South were slaves out of a total population of about nine million people. It's, It's where he grew up. He spent all his life. Lee returned to military duty in 1859 and was involved in two of the preludes to the Civil War to come. In October of 1859, abolitionist John Brown and 21 others led a raid of the arsenal at Harper's Ferry in Virginia. Yeah, the plan- we mentioned this one in, uh, in Tubman. Yeah. Yeah, carry on, mate. Yeah. Uh, The plan was to start a slave revolt there. Cool. Uh, Lee was given command of a detachment to suppress the uprising. Lee's forces surrounded the site. When Brown refused to surrender, Lee attacked, and in under five minutes of the fighting starting, uh, Brown and his men were captured. And Brown was actually hung for, for this. Yeah. I think we mentioned he was hung, but I didn't know it was Robert E. Lee that did the uh, the assault. Yeah, yeah, wow. right. yeah, he was in charge of the detachment to uh, to stop this. Yeah, um, it was treason, wasn't it? By the and the yeah. US tried him as treason, so yeah. it wasn't as if it was. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, he's attacking a, uh, a, a military a, fort. Yeah, so it is treason. Yeah. Um, I understand why they're doing it. They want they want to try and cause an uprising. They don't believe in slavery. They want to stop it. But a bit of a stupid idea, attacking the military. Yeah, yeah. fucking idiots. Maybe they just thought they'd make a quick statement. Um, but at this time, the abolitionists' movement uh, was very strong. In 1860, the presidential election was fought over the idea of banning slavery uh, and this had a lot of support in the northern states that were m- more industrialized and had less reliance on slavery yeah, much less um, when it comes to than the agricultural south um, just to give you an idea of some of the numbers about 70 percent of the workers in the south were farmers so it was very agricultural and uh, i mean factory wise there was there was like five times the amount of factories in the north than there was the south all all the immigration was coming into the north as well and they were bringing different ideas from europe when it comes to slavery 
and there it was becoming the the north was coming very city central and very industrialized whereas the north was staying very agricultural um yeah. and obviously the cheapest way to run a farm at that time was having slaves, slaves. so they relied they relied on that slavery which was horrendous the southern states saw this as a massive violation of states' rights. So when the Republican candidate, Abraham Lincoln, won in 1860, the southern states started to declare secession from the Union. Just as a side note, yeah. Abraham Lincoln is actually the first Republican to become president. The Republican oh, okay. Party only existed for a, a handful of years before that. It was because before the Republican Party, it was the Whigs. Yeah. It was the Whigs and Andrew Jackson's Democrats who were the two parties. Yeah. If you if you're um, the Confederate States at this point, if you just take if you just t- step aside from the moral argument, I know it's difficult to do, but they're being threatened with having their economy wiped out. Yeah. In their eyes, that's the way they see yeah, it. Yeah. Um, because it. They must have seen it as, as drastic as that, otherwise they wouldn't have made the the, the moves that they did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, it, it was a massive part of their their economy. They were already getting economically they were they were minnows compared to the north, and they were yeah they 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 very much relied on the slave trade to keep their economy going yeah. at that point. And some of them, some some of their argument was that let the states decide individually yeah. whether or not they can, whether or not they're going to get rid of slavery. I mean, there were some states. Uh, Virginia was one of them that already allowed slaves to be freed by their their masters. Yeah, obviously it was up to the masters to free them. So there was there was already laws in place in some of these states to allow for the freeing of slaves. Anyway, it just it wasn't made illegal in some of the states, and the uh, Mexican-American War was also a precursor to this civil war because it caused a lot of unrest between the people who didn't want slavery and the people who wanted slavery. They they all knew that they were going to beat Mexico. Mexico was a mess, and they knew that they were going to get a lot more territory out of it, like including places like California, as well as. Obviously, parts of Texas, Um, and creating these new states, there was a big debate in America on whether or not these states would allow slavery or not from the inception. Yeah, and obviously, you had a big chunk of the country who wanted slavery banned from these new states, and there's a big chunk of the country who wanted to allow slavery, and it caused this massive divide. Yeah, political divide. Okay, so, yeah, after the election of Abraham Lincoln in 1860, southern states started to secede. In The first one to do this in December of 1860, so before he was even inaugurated, was South Carolina. Um, then in January of 1861, uh, Mississippi, uh, Florida... Alabama, Georgia, and Louisiana followed in that order. This is all before he actually gets put into office. Set the domino effect. Yeah. It's like, um, it's like Britain and Brexit, Mike. Brexit. Brexit. 52%. <laughs> that caught on, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, at the time, the now Lieutenant Colonel Robert E. Lee was stationed at Fort Brown in Texas. When Texas seceded in February, this is the second precursor, the Union General, David E. Twiggs, surrendered. And and he surrendered all the US forces to the Texans, and that included Lee. So that was the second, um, the second precursor to the war. So... He, this general who was based in Texas, surrendered the whole of the army that was in Texas to... Which was a large part of the army, I should imagine. Which was a massive part of yeah, the army. Yeah, because that was the, the front, wasn't it, for them? That was, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So they, they've surrendered a massive chunk of the army in Texas to the Texans. Um, Twiggs then resigned from the US Army and was made a general in the Confederate Army. Hmm. So he'd changed sides. Lee returned to Washington and on his return was appointed colonel of the 1st Regiment of the Cavalry. What, the US Army? Yeah, of the Union. He didn't initially join the Confederate. Oh, okay. No. No, he, he thought he was stupid. He thought, he, he, he thought the secession of all these states was moronic. He, he thought it was... Yeah, he, he thought it was futile. He thought it was stupid. And yeah, initially he was he stayed with the Union, and he he saw it also as a portrayal of the efforts of the founding fathers, and again was completely against it. His loyalties were tested though when on the seventeenth of April, eighteen sixty one, his home state of Virginia seceded. On the eighteenth of April, he was offered the role of major general to command the defence of Washington, but declined it. So he was, at this point in time, he'd made a massive name for himself, and he was seen as one of the best officers in the army. And they, at this point, after Virginia dropped out of the Union, seceded, his home state, they offered him the big job yeah. of the, Union, the Union's army, um, and he declined. Um, he... He refused the role because he, he he didn't want to fight his home state. His loyalties lied with his state more than his country. Yeah, and it was only because Virginia Virginia seceded that he decided to join the Confederates. He resigned. He resigned on the twentieth of April and took command of the Virginia State Forces three days later. Wow! So that's why he joined the Confederates. Because his home state, where yeah. his loyalties lie, at the end of the day, plus he's got his whole, his like his family's there. Yeah, everything. His yeah. whole estate is there. Yeah. Like, could you imagine what would happen to that up. place if he yeah. stayed as union? Yeah. That'd be first place here, wouldn't yeah. it? And we've got to remember, it's quite a obviously it's a young country at this point. It's still well, we still see it today as a young country, a relatively yeah. young country. But it was a very young country then. And a lot of people's opinions of it, it, it was state first. Yeah. Then. On the formation of the Confederate Army, he was named among the first five full generals. His first battle didn't go uh, so well, though. He was assigned the command of the Confederate forces in, the West, uh, in Western Virginia. Lee tried to have his forces surround a garrison at Cheat Mountain. But due to poor communications between his uh, split forces, Lee ended up having to call off the attack. And you'll notice a pattern with Lee's attacks as we go on. He liked, even though it, it's, it's a common idea that you don't split your forces against uh, either stronger, bigger forces or against uh, forces that you don't know the size of. He did it a lot. It was one of his things. It's one of his... Uh, one of one of the, his strategies that he did a lot was split. His, he would split his forces and try and surround an opponent or hit him from the flanks. He tried it in this occasion and failed, um, mainly due to poor communication between his separated forces. After that attack and that failed attack, at which he was blamed on, blamed for quite heavily, uh, he was sent to organise the coastal defences in Carolina and Georgia. He put in place defences that stopped the federal progress on Savannah. On the 1st of June, 1862, he took control of the Army of North Virginia after General Johnston was injured. So after the general who was in charge of those forces was injured, he took command. He spent the first three weeks shoring up Richmond's defences before launching a series of offensives on the Unionist forces led by General George B. McClellan. And to give you an idea, if you don't know, uh, Richmond's is the capital of Virginia. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a, a big, 
Port and City, especially at that time. Yeah. These were dubbed the Seven Days Battles. These battles took place between June the 25th and July the 1st in 1862. So seven days and there were seven battles. Uh, he went on an offensive to try and push the Unionists back out okay. of Virginia. Out of Virginia. Um, the first was the Battle of Oak Grove. The Unionist forces attacked Lee's men in the swampy area. But as night came, the Union army retreated. and That is shit terrain to attack on. Yeah, so they, they chose a poor time and place to, to attack, attack yeah. and they ended up having to retreat. Um, it seemed as a bit of a draw with that one. The second was at Beaverdown Creek, where Lee attacked the Union Army's flank. The third was at Gaines Mill, where the Confederates managed to push the Union forces back across the river. The three next battles were inconclusive, two of them being battles to try and stop a retreating Union army and failing. The last of the seven battles was a failed attack by Lee on a fortified position on Malvern Hill. The Confederates suffered high losses, but McClellan did withdraw his forces. So even though he didn't have, in these seven battles, he didn't uh, win a a great success. success. He was still pushing the Union out of Virginia. So his overall goal was being accomplished because he was chasing them out of their territory. At the end of August 1862, the Confederates won a decisive battle in the Second Battle of Bull Run. The battle was over three days. It started when Major General Stonewall Jackson, one of, he's another famous um, Confederate general who um, worked under Lee. It was after... Stonewall Jackson ordered his forces to attack the Union forces as they were passing by. The initial attack reached a stalemate, but the Union forces pushed on, believing they had Confederates cornered and outnumbered. But without the Union forces being the wiser, the Confederates received reinforcements and counted with 28,000 men. So a big force... Um, Turned it round. Yeah. This crushed the Unionists and pushed them back. Lee ordered the Confederates to pursue the retreat. Yeah. With the retreat of the Union Army, Lee pushed north into Maryland and Pennsylvania, moving the fighting ever closer to Washington. So he's slowly pushing it north, getting further away from Richmond, the capital of um, Virginia, and pushing on to Washington, which getting closer to Washington, uh, which is obviously the capital of the, the Union. Union forces pursued Lee's forces, and by pure luck, while camping in a field that a few days previous had been occupied by Lee's forces, they came across a copy of Lee's plans which kind of set Lee back a little bit, as you can imagine. He had yeah. all his plans, because what he did was he, he split his forces and a group went into Pennsylvania and a group went into Mary, uh, Maryland. Okay. A bit careless. Yeah, a bit careless, yeah. Um, but due to McClellan's caution, they were unable to capitalise on this information. McClellan finally caught up with Lee at... Um, Anichium Creek, Maryland, in mid-September 1862. McClellan had 80,000 and Lee had about 50,000 men. It was the single bloodiest day in the war, with both sides suffering massive losses. I believe the figure was something like 20-odd thousand uh, uh, men men casualties uh, from, from this one day. The Confederates were forced to retreat back into Virginia. So, because of McClellan, basically because of McClellan's um, caution, it gave Lee, who had spies inform him that McClellan knew his plans, gave him enough time to shore himself up and not make it an overwhelming defeat, and he managed to actually retreat. 
McClellan lost his command due to his failure to stop Lee's retreat. Okay. Well, I suppose the the, the difference in resources, yeah. manpower, and you had the you had the intel as well. Yeah. Yeah. But it's got to be seen as a failure. Yeah. From... Uh, and that's the thing. Um, from the outset, you look at the numbers and the finances and the resources between the Union and the Confederates, and you're thinking there's only one winner. Hundred percent. There's only one winner, yeah. but. The Confederates made a good fight of it um, through great, great leadership. And made, yeah, the, basically they had all the best generals. Yeah, all the best generals were on the Confederate side, um, and that's that's why they managed to Put make it last fight. as long as they did. Yeah. The Union forces now under the command of Ambrose Burnside attacked across the Rappahannock River at. Fredericksburg. That was in December of 1862. Lee had had time though to regroup and the Union forces ended up retreating after after suffering over twice the casualties that the Confederates did. That's the thing, you give, basically you give Lee time to set up a defence and you're asking to lose. Yeah. He, He was a great engineer to start off with and you give him you give him enough time and he's going to set up a a fort fortifications that you're going to really struggle to take yeah and that's that was a, a tell defensively he was amazing because yeah. he he was an engineer and he knew how to set up a defense and attacking he was just he was very daring and he would do things that others wouldn't i think you're on something though. i think his strengths by the sounds of things was definitely defended defending the position over attacking it seems like uh, in a lot of these battles the ones where he's tried to attack he's been he's kind of stuck a little yeah, bit no, mainly by no, lack of manpower no, no, no. And he was he was clever in attack and he did he did win his, his good fair of attacks but you're right defensively he was brilliant and he would set he would know how to set up his men he would use um, interior lines basically meaning that you would set it up kind of like a bow where yeah. where Kind of as your forces being pushed back, your forces are coming closer and closer together. Yeah. So the lines, the the gaps between re, re, the, your resources behind, is getting closer to the front line of your yeah. forces. Whereas the people attacking you is getting they're spreading out, aren't they? The gaps between communication between all the forces is getting further away because it's getting kind of curved out. Yeah. And he 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 was very good at setting up a defence. And as I said, his engineering prowess kicked in and he could get his men building brilliant defences in days. It's almost Roman-like. Almost Roman-like. And that's what it's like. Obviously, they said about the Romans, they they would build a mini castle every time they'd set up camp. Yeah. Um, and that, that was part of the reason why they were so great and they lasted for so long. <laughs> the Battle of Chancellorville took place between... April the 30th and May the 6th, 1863, and is seen as Lee's greatest victory. After Fredericksburg, uh, Lincoln named yet another commander of their armed forces, this time Joseph Hooker. He moved to attack Lee's forces in Chancellorville. Lee decided to split his forces, sending Stonewall Jackson with a flanking force. It worked, and the Union forces were forced to retreat again. Stonewall Jackson was a casualty um, of this battle, though, and died from his wounds. So one of his key key lieutenants and greatest generals died in this battle. And what, what was even stranger is that he didn't die from a wound from the enemy. It was from friendly fire. Oh, for fuck's sake. It was friendly fire that he died from. In the beginning of July 1863 came the big turning point of the Civil War. Up until this point, the Confederates seemed to be getting all the big wins. After the massive success at Chancellorville, Lee decided to move on Pennsylvania again and push north to Gettysburg. The Battle of Gettysburg lasted three days and there were 51,000 casualties, which I believe is the biggest, it was the biggest number of casualties of any battle in, 
in the Civil War. 28,000 of those being Confederates. And that was over three days. Obviously, the previous battle I mentioned was one day. It was like 20-something thousand in one day. But this was over three days. It was 51,000 casualties. In total. In total. And obviously, they're all Americans because both sides are Americans. The Confederates can't afford to lose that many as well. No, no, no. Give you an idea over the period of the war, it was the Union had anywhere up to about 2.6 million in the armed forces, and the Confederates had anywhere between 750,000 and 1.2 million. So, not even half no. the number of forces. So, yeah, they, they, they can't deal with the casualties like the Union could. Lee split his forces again and tried to flank the Union forces on both sides. But the Union forces held, and when Lee attacked their centre, they were repulsed and suffered severe casualties. On July the 4th, Lee withdrew his forces. That would be his last major incursion into the North. Lee had his resignation rejected after that battle. So he tried to resign. So he tried to resign. Mind you, he lost a lot of fucking people. A lot of people. Um, but it's his first major failure. Yeah. Because he, bear in mind, he was the, well, they were a few miles out of Richmond, and by this point, they pushed the fighting to within about twenty miles of Washington. So he's had loads of successes, and he's really moved the line of fighting into the north. Yeah. By this point, but this was a massive turning point, and. Yeah, because of it, he he did try and hand in his resignation, but it was it wasn't accepted. In 1864, the new commander of the armed forces, Ulysses S. Grant, decided to go on the offensive. He knew the Union had greater manpower as well as being better supplied. He pushed into Northern Virginia and decided not to retreat to keep pushing until they broke through. So he's, he's a guy who's, who realised, look, we've got better numbers, we've got better supply. It's, it's all about attrition. It's all yeah. about just keeping at it. Even if you're losing individual battles, which he did, he lost a lot of like one-off battles with, with Lee and the Confederates. They just couldn't keep up with it. But, but it's just the sheer numbers. Yeah. The sheer numbers game is that he keep, you keep on going at it, it's going to hit the... The Confederates going to hit breaking point a lot earlier than the Union. Yeah, and and he was the first one on the Union side to really understand that fact, and it worked. Uh, this relentless pressure pushed the Confederates back to the point where, in April the second, eighteen sixty-five, Lee had to abandon Richmond. Oh no! Yeah. By this point, there was only going to be one victor, and a week later, Lee surrendered to Grant. The war ended with the Union victorious. Lee wasn't arrested after the war ended and returned to to his home and to be with his family. So that's that's the end of the He's, war. Uh, um, rather than taking, you know, I don't know why, but for some reason, Kim Jong Un's come to mind. If that war ever fucking kicks off, then you know that it's going to be to whether to the last man, woman, or child. Yeah. Whereas at least he's Lee has turned around and went right. There's only going to be one winner now. Let's yeah. not just let all these people die for yeah. what pride. And and it, and it's in his home as well. It, it, the battle's in his home, and he doesn't want his home destroyed. Yeah. It, the reason why well. he entered the war, he thought was, this whole thing was stupid. The only reason he was fighting was to defend his home. He yeah. didn't want to take up own arms against his own people. Yeah. And that's why he fought. So, I mean, he ended up accepting a position as president of Washington College. Robert E. Lee died of a stroke on October the 12th, 1870, at his home, surrounded by his family. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've done a lot, quite a bit of reading on Robert E. Lee. I didn't want to kind of half-arse this one. Yeah. I've done quite a bit of reading. And he's quite a quotable character. I haven't kind of read out loads of quotes because I just, I think, going over the details. But some of the, some of the quotes that I've, I've 
read quite clever is uh, one of them was what a cruel thing war is to fill our hearts with hatred instead of love of our neighbours. Um, another is uh, the the education. I love this one. The education of a man is never completed until he dies. Wow. Yeah. He's a wise yeah. Right, man. Yeah. Um, another is uh, I cannot trust a man to control others who cannot control himself. And it is good that war is so horrible as we might grow to like it. But, yeah, that's, that's Robert E. Lee. I wish I, wish I could come up with that's, one of lines like that. Yeah, that, that's the guy that um, there's a bit of a kerfuffle about at the moment in America where they're trying to pull down statues and, yeah. and stuff. I heard that... I don't know if this is true. It was on something else. That he applied for his citizenship to the US to have his US citizenship back after the war. Yeah. But because there was like lost papers or some shit, he didn't actually get it back. <laughs> um, so there was an, there's like a the US implemented an act like in the seventies or something, yeah, reinstating his citizenship yeah. back to eighteen sixty five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's for all like again like I I go over it for all the things he's associated with. And the things that he did himself, it's still a big part of their history. And to tear it down and try and forget about it is a bit stupid, I feel. Yeah, but, yeah. Because if it's you start... Difficult. It's, it's difficult because we haven't lived that. Yeah, we haven't lived that, but you start, you start with Robert E. Lee and where does it finish? Because... You go far enough back and you you take anybody from 200 years ago's moral, um, like, and put them in today and they're going to be hard right, kind of disgustingly immoral people. Yeah, you, uh, could, you could do that with literally any, any country any, as well. Yeah, with and the foundation country. of any yeah. country, you're going to yeah. offend someone, aren't yeah. you? So <sighs> it's, yeah... An interesting character and a great, great general. For any, for it, whatever you take away from him, with obviously his his associations with slavery and fighting for the Confederacy, he was a great general. Oh, yeah, and he was one of he's he's still to this day recognised as one of the great generals in American history, uh, um, up there with people like George Washington. And rightly so as well. Yeah. So yeah, that was Robert E. Lee. Thanks, Mike. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was good. Another hashtag true story. Thank you for listening to Hashtag True Story. If you would like to follow us, you can reach us on Twitter at The True Story Pod or on our Facebook page, True Story Podcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your equivalent Android podcast app. Five stars would be absolutely lovely and it would really help us in getting heard. See you next time. <laughs>